story. Working with flyers, when you just zone out, you put your music on and you just chat. Excuse me, is this your taxi? You can't mistake their anthology, a girl's allowed commentary podcast from The Record Doctor. Whenever you're ready. Hello, good thanks, my fellow Allowders, and welcome to June's arrival of You Can't Mistake Their Anthology, the Record Doctor's monthly Girls Allowed commentary podcast covering every last one of the gals' releases, not just as a group, but also in the solo realm. Oh, plans, plans, plans. Anime is my name, and as always, I'm your friendly host of the podcast. Before we do get right into the topic at hand, and before I do introduce you all to my special guest for the month, I'd just like to very quickly thank everybody for their incredible feedback following episode six of the podcast, which saw me chatting with Form Graphic Design UK's Paul West, one of the designing brands behind the visual campaigns for What Will the Neighbours Say and Chemistry. Really loved hearing your thoughts on the episode, and once again, I just have to say a massive, massive thank you once more to Paul and the team at Form for such an incredible opportunity. It turned out to really be an episode for the history books, and I'm just so bloody proud of it. And hopefully this will invite some more interviews coming the pods way. This month, however, episode seven of Anthology, it's time to dive into the six episode Girls Aloud docuseries, Off the Record. A bonkers look into the workings of the greatest girl band of all time. The word iconic is not big enough to describe this program. How something that runs at just over two hours would go on to become a proper British TV classic is just further testament to how huge these girls are and really were. Today's episode will be a celebration of this incredible show. So, naturally, it's a celebration I could not embrace on my own. All the way from the UK and visiting us in the Anthology Virtual Studio, my very special guest for the month of June, Joe Anderton, welcome onto You Can't Mistake Their Anthology. How in the bloody hell are you? Uh, I am. I'm so excited to do that. And of all the episodes as well, off the record, I'm, I feel blessed, honestly. I keep telling people, well, like, when they ask me, like, why is the show, like, so good? I'm like, it's not really a documentary about pop stars. It's about five girls who just want to be drunk all the time, but <laughs> begrudgingly have to be pop stars. <laughs> and they just bitch and moan the entire time. And even to non-girls like fans, that usually sells it. I've been making my housemate sit down and watch clips of me as I've been working on uh, my notes and quotes. Right, um, right. And uh, I think I might have sold it. Right. Well, so this was the show, I think, that really sold it to a lot of mine and uh, Benatar's friends as well. So at the time, we were doing a lot of, if we, you know, if anyone was working, we'd work. And then at the end of the day, we'd all meet up and we'd go to our friend Michelle's house and we'd watch most likely whatever I downloaded that day from Girls Aloud Media. So when this started up, this was as much of an event in this one little house in tiny Geelong in Australia as it was all over the UK. It was just so bloody brilliant and still holds up to this day. There's a few things that we'll talk about later that obviously perhaps don't hold up. Uh, The visit to China is extremely problematic, Um, (laughs) but we'll get to that. But this 
really was just such an amazing showing for all five of the girls, even if they didn't all necessarily want to do it. And created, it was created actually as part of a partnership between Channel 4 and Universal Music, and then made, of course, by E4 and Monkey Kingdom Productions. Off the Record premiered on E4 on April the 11th, 2006 at 10.30pm. A very risque time to start it. But yeah, so the show basically follows the girls during the thick of their chemistry era with appearances ranging from Ibiza to Australia to the top of Greek. Off the Record became must-see television each and every single week. And thanks to the godsend, as I said, that was the Girls Loud Media Forums, I was able to watch this relatively soon after it would air in the UK each week. Little did anybody in the production, or the girls themselves, have any idea, though, what they were about to do for the culture with this series. (laughs) So, Joe, for the wonderful people at home, talk me through, I guess, what you do and your association, if there is any, with the girls. Uh, Sure. So, uh, my official... Job title is uh, entertainment news reporter. Sounds uh, very fancy. Just another one of those kind of London media gays. Even though I don't live in London anymore, uh, but you know, when I was there and since then, I've kind of been here, there, and everywhere. Right. Um, Didn't everyone move after the pandemic? Um, yes and no. Yeah. <laughs> um, the brave ones did. Um, <laughs> I like to think of myself as the kind of the the guy who's just let multiple interview opportunities with the girls slip out oh, of his fingers no. i was meant to interview sarah and she was doing ghost the musical with the guy from hollyoaks right and then she pulled out the whole thing didn't she so um press got pulled for that um i had kind of uh bagged myself in to interview her when she won celebrity big brother oh, um wow. but that coincided with a house move that was just a, a massive logistical nightmare so oh. couldn't do that and i was meant to interview nadine over something she had partnered with it was like Maybe her spec saver spectacle wearer of the year 2017. Right. Yes, yes. Um, or something else. And yeah, that got pulled apart like, due to lack of interest or whatever. Oh. But I did get stuck in a lift with Una from the Saturdays and the temptation Stop. to make the temptation to make a joke about the lift only going up. <laughs> um, Stop. So, uh, yeah, but oh he. So there you go. But maybe this is my, my foray into podcasting. Who knows? Right, right. Yes. Well, I'm very, very happy to have you on as a special guest. So I can only really guess what the excitement was like actually being in the UK as this aired. Uh, can you perhaps shed some light on this for those of us listening, say, here in Australia, who'd really have no definitive idea of how huge they really were at this time? Um, <laughs> I never watched it on original airing. Oh, Wow. Um, and I know I kind of it was 2006 at Ed, so I just kind of going through that teenage phase of just kind of only pretending I was into like right. the stuff they played on Kerrang or whatever. Of course, I and, get that. And, and yeah, just yeah. sort of and sort of like pop was like my dirty bit on the side during that time, like ironically. And then I don't know, maybe like later that year or a year later, I kind of caught up on everything. Right. So, but you know, it, it's still definitely you know you always heard you know girls' loud songs on the radio, and they were always on everything and. Again, like E4, I think it was quite a new-ish channel. So that was quite a cool thing to be on. Um, right. It was like, there's kind of documentaries. You know, they were like, a, that was like, you know, the Katie and Peter Andre ones. Kind of on ITV2. And I think everyone knew the ITV2 ones really naff. So I think just being on E4. Right. Instantly kind of lent it some credibility, which is kind of funny 
saying E4 and credibility, but kind of back in the day, it was like, oh, that's exciting. <laughs> and obviously T4 was still going. Um, right. Channel 4 is kind of Sunday morning yeah. music. Still, and that always had a kind of fun element of like irony and cool. I always did watch that as well. So yeah, I think that kind of Channel 4 association. And then now that I think people have talked about it online, all the memes have sprung. I think people have really seen that it's just art. Right, right. <laughs> the, the art of the art of hating your job so much, even if it's the best job in the world. Well, there's a lot to be said about this wonderful series, and we'll hopefully get to most of it. But before we do start, I did want to bring up something that you actually mentioned to me in the lead up to recording. Oh no! No, no. This is this is actually good. You'd actually mentioned that the off the record DVD allegedly had all of the celeb cameos cut out of it. So I've only recently purchased a DVD reader again after years and years without having one. So I'd been watching the Girls Loud Media ADI rips of each episode from my old hard drive. So I whipped those out again after speaking to you and after I'd watched the 4K upscale I'd done of the DVD. Couldn't believe my bloody eyes. Absolutely spot on, Joe. Where the fuck were the sugar babes? Where was Katie Price? I mean, all we end up with on the actual DVD is Callum Best and Ashley Cole, for fuck's sakes. Uh, at least Nadine and Jesse had the foresight to have their scenes removed before the show aired. But it's just so weird that they cut, just, just lobbed the whole Sugar Babes bit out and lobbed Katie and Peter coming in. Very strange. See, I, I do some journalism every now and then. Um, <laughs> So basically, for people who don't, um, Adam was going to send me some DVD rips, and I said, "I'm just going to watch the E4 Plus One versions on YouTube." <laughs> that is, that is like the way to watch it. That is the definitive experience. Like, and you were like, "That's no bloody difference." And I was like, "There is <laughs> the bit right. with Mel and her two sisters, who Cheryl thinks is the mom." Yes, which we and, will definitely get to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine that the sugar bees were probably a bit like miffed at that and then because they had quite a close relationship right. i imagine someone from sugar Zip just said do you mind taking that out and then maybe kmp are probably charging loads for like dvd appearance fees or whatever because they were they were huge at the time they could probably they get away with a whole new world royalties and whatever yeah. <laughs> the label just like nah and those right. scenes weren't even interesting anyway to be honest so right right yeah oh, the scene wasn't that great no but the, the sugar babes one iconic very important to the story and sadly <laughs> sadly missing from the dvd much to cheryl's delight i'm sure well you know that someone obviously youtube has the e4 plus one versions but now someone's uploaded the dvd versions upscale to 1080p hd oh, as well Oh, wow! so you can't i did watch both versions over the last week yeah yeah yeah, yeah. same i had to like Which, cause i was like i have to watch the e4 version now from start to finish to see mm. how much I've missed. It was pretty much just those core yeah. bits that were removed, those two bits really, but still interesting that, yeah, that was what ended up on the cutting room floor. And they had the nerve to say on the front that it's uncut. Oh yeah, and then there was a bonus episode and it was just the pilot and half the scenes ended up in the DVD version replacing the Sugar Babe scenes anyway to make up for time. Very, very bizarre. Very bizarre. But anyway, we're not going to talk about the logistics of the DVD. We'll, we'll, we'll base it pretty much around the E4 airing. <laughs> Episode one really spends a solid portion of its opening centered around Cheryl, her then relationship with Ashley Cole, the relationship she has with her very adorable mama, and of course, the lollipop incident. Now, I have made it fairly clear in previous episodes of the pod that 
the tabloid world around Girls Aloud is not something I'm interested in covering. And as this was a very real and very serious incident, I don't think it's really any of my business to be covering it here. But seeing as this is core to the series' big opening, I would like to know what the mood around this incident and Cheryl's response to it, particularly in this first episode, was like in the UK. Oh, yeah. That was something that, you know, everyone, it was so... I know it's just one of those things that people would bring up for, for forever. Right. I think it was only sort of when Cheryl got to X Factor, like, you know, the kind of the team there did a real 180. And I guess the kind of the start of solo Cheryl, like media personality was right. born, that people kind of start to forget about that. Obviously, it would get brought up every now and then. But then it became kind of like a taboo thing. It was like, oh, you can't bring that up. You know, she's a people's princess now. But definitely up until like 2008, whatever, it was always just like, still Cheryl the, the thug, I guess, not my right. quotes. Um, I do think it's really interesting as a documentary to kind of get it out the way, straight mm. away, because they know people are kind of waiting for gossip on that. But the way Cheryl frames it, she says, I'm going to do apologies for the accent here. You know, I got into a bit of a pickle in a nightclub, like any teenager does, happens all the time. <laughs> Another kind of iconic Cheryl quote from that bit is where she goes, you know, I'll always be betrayed as the bitch in the band. And like the rest of the series, it's just like, yes, You're she wears a t-shirt that says, I've had a bowl of bitchy for breakfast. Uh, on, I mean, she she knew kind of what her character was. She complains about it and then completely leans into it. Bravo. It was the the comedy stylings of Cheryl. There was just one liner after the other, especially at the top of Greek. (laughs) Off the record in this Pussy Gadol's interview, honestly, peak Cheryl. Cheryl's seemingly idyllic life hasn't always been easy. She used to go most in the tabloids, but not always for the right reasons. Got myself into a bit of a pickle in a nightclub, like any normal teenage girl does. It happens all the time, but this was happening on front page national news, and that was so such a hard time for me, like so frustrating. And I was dealing with all these things at the one time, the fame, the the nasty side of fame, really, I dealt with from the start. The really harsh side of it. Not knowing if this was the beginning and the end of my career. You know, just not knowing anything, to be honest. It still hurts and I'm still bitter about it, to be honest. I really am bitter about it. I can, I can still make us cry. I can still make us feel sick after all this time. So that was hard. Then, obviously... I was allowed to stay in the band or whatever and we've progressed and we're like three and a half years down the line now but I've still got that stigma and I've still always been portrayed as like the bitch in the band. Yeah, there's, and, there's and a few listen, things like, <laughs> I grew up in the South Welsh Valley so like, I am, you know, fights in nightclubs. You had to leave the club by a certain time before the fight started but never with a toilet attendant. Never. I've been checked out of the club for saying hello to a toilet attendant once. <laughs> Well, it's funny because this incident was the first time I'd ever even heard of a toilet attendant. Really? We don't have them here. Do your clubs have, like, bouncers and things to get in? We have bouncers to get in, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we do. Um, Definitely have bouncers and security and all that stuff, like, all that. But, yeah, the toilet is empty. (laughs) The toilet is empty. (laughs) Well, (laughs) moving on... As we watch Lachaise and her mom wrap up a shopping trip, they then head off to the Julian McDonald London Fashion Week showing, which something, it just seems as something that Ashley is very pleased that he's doing for Valentine's Day. 
seems to be something very sweet about it, I guess, but it's hard to look favourably at him in any way, thanks to hindsight. Um, I mean, the kind of Ashley Cheryl thing was huge in the tabloids at the time. Yeah. And then even going into kind of like, the, you know, fight for this love era and they were kind of breaking up and making up and everything. Like they were the kind of naughties, posh and Bex alongside kind of Kate and, Kate and Peter. Um, so fun fact, uh, Julia McDonald went to my school. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Yes. Oh, wow. He ends up doing the out control tour outfits, didn't he? One of my favourite parts of this whole thing actually involves Julian McDonald, who seems very thrilled to be getting a photo with Cheryl until Cheryl pulled Ashley into the frame. There's this, <laughs> the, the visible disgust on Julian's face is hard he to knew. overlook. Even if it is just for a millisecond, it is by far one of my favourite moments from episode one. And like, there's a lot to get through, but that was just beautiful it's just this split second of pure disgust that he had to be in the photo with him a, a smith voice we could tell a wrong one <laughs> not really a fan of the tabloidy sections of the doco don't show it oh god you've seen that as well at least there's no cellulite on it yeah because i'm bent over I think it's a compliment oh, if your bum too. makes the front yeah. page. So and have you actually read the story? Yes. It says about we all sleep together is or it something. True? No! <laughs> is it? Yeah. They always make it sound more, more than what it is anyway, especially for some for a paper like that, because it's just pervy in it. Yeah, when girls like sleep together. Sarah's bottom obviously is now going to be famous. Obviously, we could probably get a lot of endorsements, especially for thongs now. <laughs> I'm not going to read it. It's just it's a load of shit. The girls' marketing director is on the case immediately. The girls are never not in the papers, and there was once upon a time a day when you were really, really grateful of that, but now it's every single day. You know, they are photographed like in the evenings for, like falling out of cabs or going off and doing their own thing. That's part of what they're about. Does it help sell records? It helps create an awareness. I suppose we are quite like, quite a tabloid kind of band, aren't we? Like, they put things in there. I just wouldn't ever think would be interesting to anybody always amazes me you know like really not like really not important things like if something small happens at a gig like somebody goes on stage i don't know with and the mic breaks or something that would be in the paper it's like i'm sure nobody's interested in that but i don't know because i can never see it from an outside perspective there is one paparazzi man that just loves to follow me around this, where I live. So if I'm leaving, like, Pizza Express or, you know, wherever it is, he's just always there. It just makes me look like all I ever do is go and eat out. <laughs> I must just check every restaurant to see which one I'm in. But I will say this. I'm going to play a snippet of Nadine talking about how, before, or why you're becoming a pop star, that they should really teach you uh, classes on how to get out of a car without your knickers being seen in, well, the next day in the papers, papped by the paparazzi, literally sitting, like, on the road, like, lying down in the curb, basically, just to get a shot up the skirt. Really, really disgusting. Anyway, here's Nadine. Getting out of a car is a, an art that you need to really master if you're going to be in a girl band. They should give you lessons because they just like you don't understand the cameras be right down on the path 
where the you know if you're getting into a car so it's impossible like unless you're like this and then you just look silly but you'd rather be like that than see your knickers everywhere the next day remember the first knicker shot that I got getting out of a car somebody taking pictures of me knickers I was like and it shows you in the picture I'm like <gasps> like I can't believe someone's on the floor doing it and then the next day seeing your knickers in the paper I was like oh my god just totally heartbroken I thought my world was shattered and then when you have it like about a hundred times and you kind of learn to get over it you know, absolutely vile, and I guess this comes up when they're speaking to the paparazzi guy as well, and he's just being so and gross. Pardon my French. Anyway, one thing I noticed looking back on the series recently, the girls and everybody around them really seemed that they were, like, in a proper frenzy to get a whole lot of history into the top ten. And every discussion around the girls' future... It felt like they were in a Girls Aloud-themed episode of The Amazing Race. Everything seemed urgent, like the weight of people assuming they were on the verge of breaking up was playing a part in this frenzy. And it's a motif that continues throughout the series, which is crazy to think that a girl group in the peak of their creative stride during their absolute imperial phase had all of this industry doubt doubled down on them. It's great hearing from people like Rachel Cook and Peter Lorraine on the documentary, very formative names in the Girls Aloud story, particularly as they both go on to explain that while the girls were at their best, they were also competing in a pop music landscape that was worlds away from the pop music that they were known for. James Blunt, Katie Melua, Indie was making its way through in a big way also, and a bunch of bands that most of us have forgotten the names of would come and go. But it felt like sappy pop and electric guitars were almost signalling the death of pop to the rest of the industry. Fashion week done, the girls head off to Ibiza for a crazy promotional tour that sees Cheryl correctly describe Girls Aloud to a radio station as being pop at its best. This, She's got a point. She, she does, she does. And But the perler in this block for me has always been... The girls going out to dinner in Ibiza, doing shots, Sarah perhaps more so than the others, and poor, wonderfully patient, saint of an icon and Girls Aloud manager, Hilary Shaw, sitting at the end of the table, mentally questioning every shot being taken. I love Hilary, and I stand her as much as the girls. I mean, talk about what an icon, but that scene is just perfect. <laughs> I... Me and my friend Ian, we binge watch Off the Record in a day last year. It was the day Sarah's book came out. We we read it and then binge watch Off the Record. And I came up with the Off the Record drinking game. So it's every time one of them complains about something, do a shot. Oh, every no. time Hillary Hillary's face just looks like she's been slapped or like the blood <laughs> is just drained from her face, you drink. Um and every time they play the instrumental for Big Brother, which seems to be about like three or four times an episode, <laughs> like who was it? Was it Cheryl who co-wrote that one? She she was getting those royalties. It was the set, it was the uh, follow up theme to Models, basically. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's when you listen when you listen out for it, they use that one in particular so often. So I take no responsibility for anyone's liver if they play the off the record drinking game. Copyright you like. The girls are lounging in their private Ibethan villa, but then they notice that it's not exactly as private as they thought that it was, and they see a rumble in the bushes. 
the paps have found them. After a night on the tiles, the girls relax by the pool in their exclusive villa, well away from prying eyes. But it's not long before they're joined by a few familiar faces. Girls, run for cover. Paparazzi in the bushes. When Nicola said it, I thought, no, she's winding me up. She knows that I'll be devastated. And then I looked and I just seen him up there. Stood there brazen, wasn't he? Staring, he wasn't even hiding very well. The next thing you know about it is when us in the paper and you're looking at yourself and it's stalkerish. It's disgusting, you know, it's your, the, the home in on your private parts and stuff. It's just disgusting. If you're on a public beach, then there's nothing you can do about it, but this is a private villa and you still can't have any poo. <laughs> it's the bit when Nicola goes, Girls run for cover. Girls run for cover. Paparazzi. Oh no. Girls run for cover. Come back to Jordy. Oh god. There was a bit. My friend, um, <laughs> both my friends Ian and Jordan, have requested that I do when Kimberly's in the pool and she goes, "A bruise like a peach." <laughs> Bruised like a peach. I can't do a good Kimberly impression. What I can do, what I can do, is an impression of Joe Babington from our Back at Your Podcast doing an impression of Kimberly. Oh my god! Slow and deep like this. <laughs> so we should have just got Joel. Episode one's greatest moment, however, shows the girls getting ready to perform on CD UK. So a discussion is being had backstage about the girls not being nominated for Best Pop at the Brits, something that Keisha from the Sugar Babe seems to agree with. The girls would rightfully win a Brit for The Promise some years later, but at this point in their career, I, I assume that it would have just pissed them off, being the best in pop by a long shot and not even being recognised for it. But... That's not what we're here to discuss. We're here to discuss this, an interaction between Cheryl, new sugar babe Amel, and her two sisters, one of which Cheryl mistakes as being Amel's mum. Take a listen. Brit nominee Keisha from the Sugar Babes pops in to see the girls to talk about the impending award ceremony. Yeah, we're um, yeah, one. Yeah, with like Shane and like, was it? We're with Kaiser Chiefs, with all the like really really good people, but best pop act. I know What's that's going so on? weird. I should do it. I'm Kate and Lily were Westlife. Who else? James Blunt. James Blunt. <laughs> Is that pop? Just not. Right that's what I was thinking. Look like, what? Unbelievable. To be nominated or to win a Brit is like one of those things that you just kind of want to tick off. There's a lot of different kind of music around these days, so pop music's dying a bit of a death. But we're trying to keep it alive. Yeah, <laughs> this is the new Sugar Babe sister. Hello. Uh, Hi. Right. You all right? <laughs> How's she finding it all? Oh, yeah, I'm she's loving you, Mum. Oh, my sister as well. Oh, oh, there, there she is. There she is. There she goes. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hello. Nice Hi. to meet you. I just said to that new sugar babe's older sister, are you the man? Why did I say that? <laughs> no, I didn't think she looked like the mum, I just knew she looked older. Hello, yeah. And my mum, like, everybody thinks my mum's my sister. Do you know what I mean? 
Really? Your set common sense should tell you you just say it's your sister anyway? <laughs> yeah. No? Well, now I think that. <laughs> but now on, yeah, I will. I felt oh. like a right twat. Are you the ma'am? And then a little bit later. I just said to the new sugar babes or the sister, are you the ma'am? I didn't think she was the ma'am. I just knew she looked older. Why did I say that? The, whole, the funny thing about this whole scenario is Cheryl never refers to Amel as Amel. It's always the new sugar, new sugar babe. babe. <laughs> as if she just knows she'll be replaced in like six months. <laughs> oh, no. Speaking of um, T-Force Pop, there's an amazing interview Simon Amstel does when they're promoting red dress is like a male's first interview right and they just they're like is this the final final line and they're like yeah yeah definitely the final one and like just so many things you know with hindsight is just like oh, it's so pathetic that interview episode two saw the girls jetting off to gay paris to film the video clip for a whole lot of history it's always a delight looking into the bts of a music video and Obviously, the most memorable moment by far from the video shoot goes to Cheryl, unable to understand the French film crew around her and showing visible signs of confusion, then taking the cringe even further by writing on her prop diary, I do not have a clue what these people are saying, then showing the scribblings to the camera. Do you reckon this is where Brian and Cinemania got the idea for Can't Speak French from? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Oh my god. They just watched this so over over a few gins and Brian just went, uh, Miranda. I don't know why I'm doing Kimby's voice again. <laughs> oh, Miranda, here we go. There you go. There's, there's a song idea. Bop it in. Um, I don't know. It's definitely one of their best music videos, but it's kind of funny kind of throughout episodes one and two. There's kind of vibe that not everyone's 100% sure that a whole lot of history should be the single they're promoting. Right. So it. You know, like I think Rachel says it in, in episode one. I think I think Peter Lorraine is pretty happy with it. Um and Sarah especially, she thinks it should be pop fucking three. Yes, um, yes. Like, oh god, two ballads in a row. You know, we've not had any number one from this album yet. They're just like, oh god, this should is a great it have choice. Been models. Yes. Obviously the complaining doesn't just stop with the video shoot, the video edit. They're all kind of like, Yeah, yeah, this is fine. Uh, Nicola is there, just like sour. Oh, don't you fucking start. (laughs) I hate the makeup. I look dreadful. I hate the makeup. Nicola, don't you fucking start. It wasn't as loud. It was like, Nicola, don't you fucking start. It was, yeah. (laughs) Obviously, that kind of ties into Nicola's slow acceptance of kind of like her own skin and things like that. They don't really touch on it too much in the documentary. Right. Um, Which maybe is kind of a missed opportunity. But I think since then, we've, you know, Nicola's kind of talked so much about her kind of change towards acceptance and everything Absolutely. which is lovely to see yeah but here it's just hate the makeup <laughs> so the girls are on this very very revealing shoot and some of them are fine about going ahead with it but obviously cheryl and kimberly in particular speak to the camera about not really being down with it cheryl not liking bearing her ass cheeks in front of all of the men as to paraphrase what she said and I know that they've said in the past that these types of photo shoots they were never really comfortable with. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see them later on kind of take control of their image and this more kind of glamorous, For sure. classy, but still sexy girls loud. Um, I really like how these kind of scenes in the photo shoot, you got like some really nice bits with Sarah as well. She kind of talks about her love life and she kind of jokes that they're kind of, she wanted to date someone in the industry, but someone who's not on camera. But then the moments are probably all gay, which right. is a point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing's changed. Um, and obviously, uh, Callum Best comes in 
Right. Because um, there's been things written in the paper. Um, but I really like Sarah. You know, she's going to talk so much about the media and stuff, but she does say here, she's kind of like, she's these things have been written about, and she just goes, you know what, it doesn't make me look bad. It just makes him look like a twat. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. get on you, Sarah. Yeah. So there's this whole song and dance about where a whole lot of history is going to place on the charts. The whole midweeks, then the waiting for the announcement for the final placement on the Sunday, Nadine in the back of the car waiting for the call to come through from, I assume, Radio 1? Radio 1, yeah. Right. And the girls come in at number six with a whole lot of history, which, when you think about it, as Cheryl very happily explains later on, uh, happy days about the number six placement, she said. She seems to be the only one that's happy about it. But she also seems to be the only one that's sort of applied some real logic to the fact that single number four off an album that everybody has hopefully already bought, so number six is really good. And I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about that whole amazing race feel to this whole thing around whole lot of history being released in the documentary is that it was just so there was such a push around it had to it had to be in the top 10 to keep that consecutive record i love the fact that sarah is thinks it deserves to be top fucking three um i think of all the girls allowed i think sarah's only kind of loved the music the most right she, i think um, she loved being a girls allowed a member of girls de- allowed the most yeah too. absolutely i remember she used to love doing a kind of snapchat and instagram stories of her just playing old girls loud like the album tracks and the b-sides at her own misks and desk and things right. so it's really nice to kind of see that come through the documentary as well i think she you know and she's only in it for like 10 seconds at the end of the song but for her to love the song so much things to be top fucking three it's a really cute moment we're moving on to episode three now and this is when things really start to shift into gear this is when talk of the girls breaking other markets internationally is brought up. And of course, the big market that they're going to test the waters in is Australia. Well, Australia and New Zealand, but that is not really covered in this documentary, although they do show scenes in New Zealand and say that it's Australia, but we'll talk about that later. (laughs) Basically, it kind of starts off with Nadine saying that it's really important to break into more markets because it means more money. It's really important that we break into more markets because it just means more money. <laughs> if we break Australia, it's a good way of trying to um, break um, Asia as well. Australia is a hugely important market for us. First, from a financial point of view, it's the sixth largest market in the world. Um, from an artist's point of view, it's an amazing market for receiving new music and also is very important getting our foothold in Southeast Asia. But of course, this begins the Australian promotional tour. Now, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure of the chronological order that this episode has been put in. It's not in the correct order of how things actually happened on that tour. I know that simply because of the live show that happens in the episode. That's in New Zealand. That is not in Sydney, Australia, or in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah, <laughs> it was in New Zealand, and for some reason they were like, kept saying Down Under, Australia, their, their first Australian show. We didn't get a show in Australia. If we did get a show in Australia, I would have been at that show in Australia. 
But no, we had some promotional engagements. <laughs> there was Sunrise in Sydney. Uh, there was a morning show at Channel 10 here in Melbourne, which was where I met them before. And that was also the only day the off-the-record cameras had a day off. Thank God. Because <laughs> I was a, I was not... That was that would not have been right for camera. It wasn't like I like, was freaking out or anything. I was just like sh- I was just like shaking and I couldn't talk, so it wouldn't have made for very good television. But I remember they did so they did Sunrise, the Channel Ten Morning Show, Channel V for Foxtel, What You Want for Foxtel, and Nova One Hundred in Melbourne. And I believe they were all of the promotional stops that they show in the episode. But Getting to those promotional uh, efforts, including TV and radio interviews in the hotel lobby, is when things start to get a little spicier in this episode, let's just say. And Cheryl really, really comes into her comedy stylings here over, I guess you could call it a wardrobe malfunction, Joe. Oh, it's just an absolute farce, isn't it? I think, <laughs> you know, someone could just edit on YouTube and just put some sort of like comedy music underneath it and just some those edits like they just zoom in on people's faces because the whole thing just starts off with hillary talking and just like why are they sitting in reception and then just that's just like the fuse that lights the spark and it's poor australian stylist lauren oh oh facing the wrath of cheryl and uh if you if you check your your emails (laughs) <laughs> oh, I am going to my email right now. I I have written you a script. You're going to play uh, Lauren, because I'm not even attempting that accent. Uh, <laughs> if you could do Hillary as well, it's just going to say much. And I will do Cheryl with a little bit of Nadine thrown in. Sarah and Nicola are dressing wardrobe. Nadine is dressing wardrobe, and you've told me to put me on clothes on. The reason Nicola and Sarah. So I look like a tramp, and the other three all dressed up. Kimberly's not coming, Chris doesn't feel well. Nicola and Sarah are doing Yeah, I know, but what I'm saying is, as a band... But you're not doing anything as a band yet. Cheryl, is that you? Can you go down now? Listen, no. All I'm saying is, everyone else is dressed the nines and I look like a tramp. Don't look like a tramp, babe. Then why don't we all just get dressed up for wardrobe? You can get dressed for wardrobe. I thought you chose to wear that. No, she said we were all wearing our own clothes. It was only because Nicola... Now everyone else is dressed in wardrobe. At the moment, they now want you to do one TV interview on your own. TV? Oh, this just gets better. It's fine. You'll be sitting down. You'll be shot from the waist upwards. you look lovely in that top. So is Nadine going to do a radio dress from wardrobe and I'm going to do a TV dressed in my own clothes? The reason Nadine's doing something dressed from wardrobe is because she just had no time and that's why she Had just... no time? She had the same time as everybody else? I don't know what else to do. Hillary said to me, she said... Everyone dressed in casual gear, that's fine. Oh, it doesn't matter. 10am and the girls allowed camp are running late. There's been a wardrobe malfunction and trouble is brewing. And Nicola, I've dressed from wardrobe. Nadine's dressed from wardrobe and you told me to put me on clothes on. The reason that Nicola and Sarah... I'm like a tramp and them three are all dressed up. Nick- Kimberly's not coming because she doesn't feel well. Nicola and Sarah are doing... Yeah, I know, but what I'm saying is, as a band... Do you know that but you're, you're not doing anything as a band yet. Cheryl, is that you? Yes, it is. Okay, can you go down now? No, all I'm saying is, everybody else is dressed to the names and I look like a tramp. You don't look like a tramp, babe. Well, why did we not all just get dressed from wardrobe? You can get dressed from wardrobe. I thought you chose to wear that. No, no she said we were all wearing our own clothes. It was only because 
Now everybody else is dressed for wardrobe. At the moment, they want you now to do one TV interview on your own. TV? Oh, this just gets better. It's fine. You'll be sitting down. You'll be shot from the waist upwards. You look lovely in that top. So is Nadine going to go and do a radio dress from wardrobe and I'm going to do a TV dressed in my own clothes? But the reason that the Dean's doing something dressed from wardrobe is because she just had no time and that's why I just... Had no time? She had the same time as everybody else? I don't know what else I can do. I was told... Hillary said to me, the girls can dress in casual gear, which is fine. I've already asked for Okay? Yeah. Okay. Right. Scene two is Cheryl and Dean walking down the corridor. She dresses everybody else in the band from wardrobe and it's me come down. It's me on clothes. And I'm doing a TV. So who looks like the dickhead? Not you, because you're the two addressed as well. Then she's going to Dean dinner any time. I said she had the same time as everybody else. I know what is wrong with me. <laughs> Oh my god. So I just that scene is just incredible. So so quotable. And I mean, poor Hillary is just like, just get out there and do the fucking job. She dresses everybody else from the band from wardrobe and lets me come down as me own clothes and I'm doing the TV. So who looks like the dickhead? Not you, because the other two are dressed as well. And then she's gone. Nadine didn't have any time. I said she had as much time as anybody else. No. What is wrong with me? Poor Lauren, Lauren is just like breakdown. Lauren is just like, please, just give me any bone whatsoever, please. I'm begging you. And Cheryl's and then just like, give a shit. Nadine could not give a toss. And Cheryl's just like twirling her hair. <laughs> Thinking about Jesse Metcalf. <laughs> He's a babe. <laughs> and then they go downstairs. And then the guy is just like, are they doing TV together? And Cheryl's like, close dramas. <laughs> and then the dean just twists the knife by going, she doesn't like me, so she refuses to speak on camera with yes, me. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. And the funny thing is, is that they were good then. <laughs> like, the next night, they went out and got pissed together off Nadine's minibar. <laughs> <laughs> Three cocktails and wine and no dinner. <laughs> no dinner. <laughs> That'll do you. <laughs> so this this whole scene is just incredible. They go down and do the interviews. This I know is Australia. Definitely. It's not New Zealand. However, the scenes from that point onwards that talk about rehearsals for the tour, that's all in New Zealand. So everything that comes after that, including the show and the rush to get late for the show and everything, that's all in New Zealand. None of that has anything to do with Sydney or Melbourne. One of my favourite moments from this is Cheryl's rant about the record company giving them the wrong version of Sound of the Underground. I, I don't think it's the wrong version. I think they gave them the correct version, which is the version that, that the extra, the version that's on the Sound of the Girls Aloud compilation. You all know the one I'm talking about. That's my favourite version of Sound of the Underground. So I always associate that extra instrumental bit with the song. Anyway, so... It's called like the performance set, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So Cheryl goes yeah, on this episode. bit of a rant. They gave us the wrong tape. Just <laughs> really just... You know what? From, from, from one Geordie to another, that was a really good accent. Well done. <laughs> I think we're going to have the whole of Newcastle chasing after us down the streets with fire and pitchforks. Oh my God, I think so. I think so. (laughs) We're both barred from every nightclub. So Nadine and Cheryl have a bit of a night out 
And as the lovely narrator explains, they basically empty the contents of Nadine's minibar and Nadine's pulled up quite well. Cheryl, on the other hand, not so much. Cheryl and Nadine spent the night before demolishing the contents of Nadine's minibar and Cheryl is paying the price. I've still been drunk. Tried to eat a piece of toast. Four girls, Cheryl and her hangover, get back on the road to go to the airport. It's like having a tour bus, isn't it? We've got to go out we one night. To That's May finish there. Like, so you see, I'm going out while I'm here. <laughs> it's really bad. And I advise anybody, if you're thinking about having a drink, not to. And Cheryl makes friends with a handy receptacle. <laughs> I feel it. Responsible, but I'm not. I'm holding her 100% responsible. <laughs> like we had three different cocktails and then wine. We were cocktails and wine. Cocktails and wine. And no, no dinner. No wonder she's done in there. Uh, and a this... piece of toast through it all. <laughs> oh no, hold it back up. Hold <laughs> um, it back up. So when Cheryl does this, like, literally like has to walk off to a bin on the streets of Sydney just to go <laughs> comedy <laughs> isn't gold it, isn't it a plant pot it could be a plant pot it looked it looked like a it looked like a smoker's um I, yeah, a smoker's was, yeah receptacle bits, pot yeah. thing yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. it is it needs to be in the inevitable girls Alive museum <laughs> at, at some point during this whole australian new zealand debacle is they have the second wardrobe promo and they're all dressed like sailors. And Kimberly's got these like these parachute trousers. <laughs> Have you seen Bob and Star go to Vista Del Mar where they jump off the cliff and then their culottes just like turn into parachutes and they swim down? That is what Kimberly's basically wearing. That's for the uh, Watch What Happens live performance for Channel V. Uh, and I, yeah, I can see the pants I, very well. <laughs> I like I like to think those awful outfits are just like Lauren getting revenge on the girls. Probably. <laughs> Probably <laughs> just raided the uh, the costume cupboard of a sort of Amdram vision of Popeye the Sailor Man or something. Just poor, like, there you go. Poor Lauren at Universal. We'll, we'll have, we should look her up on LinkedIn and see if she. Give <laughs> us a guess. <laughs> what was Cheryl really like? Ah, oh, she went there. <laughs> How much therapy did you need after being attacked by oh Cheryl? God. One of the most exciting parts of this episode is when the girls visit the Sydney Zoo. More so because Nadine's hatred for animals, or rather the unpredictability of animals, rears itself. Like, oh, it's just, it's beautiful. Uh, Look at her, she's off her head. Fucking hell. Uh, let's hear some of those snippets. Just, oh my God. With TV and radio under their belts, Hillary's hectic schedule continues and the girls dash off to the zoo for some photo opportunities. I, I just like animals and cages. Is that really bad? Sounds really anti-animal. Like, I just think they're so unpredictable. It's coming on, you know, like, it's called a clung. Oh my God. What will I do if I kiss it? Bite me face off. Look at her, she is. When we come in here, go off her head. Wouldn't like it. We'll be sitting Ooh, on this teddy at the moment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the girls are posing for photos with koalas and kangaroos, and Nadine's just not having any of it. 
Um, and then we transition to a section about a couple of Australian fans, Emily and Lane from Sydney, who are coming to the zoo to meet Girls Aloud. I mean, it's just, you know, basic fan interaction happening in front of the camera. Nothing exciting. Again, this is why I'm so, so glad that my interaction with them wasn't caught on camera because it was nothing, it was nothing exciting except for me and Ben. Like, <laughs> I 100% disagree. I think that we could not get enough of um, crazed Australian homosexuals like reacting to Girls Aloud. Like, you, know, you gave, there were some great moments. You were like, are the girls coming here? Can we meet them? Oh my <laughs> like, god! Go to the what are they afterwards. doing after? Do you know what they're doing tonight? Yeah, what are they doing after tonight? <laughs> like, brilliant! I will never forget the faces of those twins for as long as I live. And I think you would have only improved. There should have just been like a montage of just <laughs> screaming Aussie homosexuals, and they should have found a young David Lim, got him <laughs> just poorly CGI'd him into the rest of the shot. I wish I'd had the foresight to get a photo with Hillary as well. Because she was there. She was there. She was there you with the girls. Have, you would have had to have said something to make her pull one of her Hillary faces <laughs> and then taken the photo. <laughs> the girls are lounging around. They're doing radio interviews all across Australia with radio stations that had absolutely no intention of playing their music. So this is all happening and then Nadine gets a mysterious call that she does not want shown on camera as it turns out she's received a call from Jesse Metcalf for the the, the uh, sexy gardener from Desperate Housewives you can google that if you're too young to know what we're talking about so Nadine's going to go on this date with great hunk of spunk Jesse Metcalf while the other four girls go out on the town. Now, this, I am fairly sure, is Sydney that they have gone out on the town on and not New Zealand. So I think we're back on Australian soil when it comes to the uh, lack of continuity in the documentary. Making something on reality TV, who would have thought? (laughs) Speaking of faking things on reality TV... (laughs) (laughs) The, the the fact that the, the off the record tries to sort of paint their Australian trip as a success. Oh, yeah, like conquered Australia with a number twenty six debut for biology. Smash. I mean, not great. Obviously, in today's terms, though, numbers that they sold would have made a dent in the Australian top ten easily. But back in those days, when people were still buying CD singles and everything, it was just. It was, it was not a good showing for bringing an international artist from the UK all the way to Australia, touring them around, getting them on to most of the shows that most of the international acts come on when they come here to promote their stuff, and nothing. And then to follow it up as a second single with the show, anyway. I could, better, I've, better than did in China. <sighs> Oh, we'll get to that in a moment too. Jesus. Oh, but we before we get to China, we have to get 
to the top peak of Greek. Next week on You Can't Mistake Their Anthology, Joe joins me again for part two in our off-the-record coverage as we wrap our talking heads around episodes four through six in this iconic docu-series. Come on now, I mean, in true E4 fashion, did you really think I was going to give you Australia, Greece and China all in one hit? I don't think, lovely. I don't think. So make sure you come back on Thursday, July the 7th for Off The Record Part 2 as we talk the top peak of Greek, problematic moments in China and Cheryl's family dog weighing all over her. In the meantime, make sure you connect with the podcast on the social medias at Aloud Podcast, that's all one word, and on both Twitter and Instagram. I also have a brand new podcast called The Dr. Pop Pod. Episode 5 of that will cover Serbian star Milica Pavlovich's iconic brand new video album, Possessivna. However, episode 4 will be coming out within the next week, I'd say. And that will be a step back in time, so to speak. You see, now, back in 2008, I was actually a music journalist with regular work and a fortnightly column. And one of my main specialties, I guess, was interviewing artists for print and radio. Obviously, many of you know that I was the first Australian journalist to interview Lady Gaga a good six months before Just Dance would go number one here. Over the years, I've also been lucky enough to interview artists like Marina, back when she was still And The Diamonds, The Presets, Cut Copy, the, the list goes on. However, episode four of The Dr. Pop Pod will be a wonderful remaster and restoration of my 2008 interview with Tame Impala frontman, Kevin Parker. Yes, my friends, I really was once with that much reach. <laughs> anyway, the interview is one of my all-time favourites and originally aired on my very old radio show called Professional Distortion. I've worked on the audio quality and spruced it up with some audio samples and can't wait for you all to hear how down-to-earth and open Kevin was with his answers to all of my questions back in 2008. A real treat it was actually to revisit this when I was editing it and putting it all together. And I hope that you'll take a listen and enjoy that when it does drop. Uh, most likely either this weekend or next weekend sometime. I haven't decided yet. I also have my monthly radio show. Oh, it's still going, my friends. The Record Doctor. Now, there's a very exciting Belkin Top 60 on its way via The Record Doctor. The Record Doctor is, of course, my radio show on Mixcloud.com. And you can also get Mixcloud on as an app on your iPhone or any smartphone. That's Mixcloud.com. And I also co-host the incredible Danny and Kylie Minogue commentary podcast, This Is Disco, with the wonderful Eliza Day. Our latest episode of that, covering Kylie Minogue's Kiss Me Once, 
is on its way just around the corner. Uh, for more information on any of my many projects, just visit my official website, which is www.therecorddoctor.com. I also have heaps of great pop culture and podcast-related merchandise available at the site as well by way of my Threadless store. Again, www.therecorddoctor.com. The Dr. Pop Pod you can find both on Instagram and Twitter, at Dr. Pop Pod. You can also find The Record Doctor on both Instagram and Twitter, at The Record Doctor. And I am on Twitter, Adam Eve, that's A-D-E-M-E-V-E. And on Instagram, it's A-D-E-M dot E-V-E, because some other bastard had Adam Eve and they haven't posted in a while and I really want that handle. Anyway, moving on. Joe, now that I've gone through the... A to Z of everything that I've got going on, could you please share with the wonderful folk listening at home where they can find you on the social medias? Uh, I would say you can find me on Twitter at JoanneTweet, but I haven't actually used Twitter in about a year and a half, a year and a quarter right. maybe. And let me tell you, it has been so freeing. I can imagine. Um, I, I highly recommend, although I, I do kind of get all the memes and things, they kind of come to instagram stories but like a week later but that's fine <laughs> but yeah in- instagram is probably my main uh social horn i think it's uh joe ndm 91 so it sounds like joe not doing much and of course joe will be back with us next thursday as we return for off the record part two until then i'll see you all hopefully over at the dr pop pod the record doctor and this is disco it's adam eve signing off on you can't mistake their anthology see for august drop in just seven days time bye you can't mistake their anthology is a monthly pop podcast written edited and produced by adam eve for the record doctor